God bless you all and welcome back to the Bless Not Stress podcast. You are listening to a Christian self-improvement motivational podcast. My name is Didier Darius and my mission is to empower you all through the word of God. Today I have a conversation with Dr. Israel Montealegre. He is the founding pastor of One Family Church and he is also a business owner. So today I am asking him a lot of questions in regards to ministry but also in regards to businesses. Make sure to sit back and enjoy this episode. All right, so it's been a while since I've done a podcast episode and I just wanted to be able to come back and actually like be able to add value to people. That's why I wanted to do this podcast episode with you. And I don't have anything scripted. I don't have any questions written down because I've been having so much time, you know, talking with you and all the conversations that we have that I think it's it has so much value that if we actually share this with other people and like you know people within our church are able to listen to this i know you don't have the time to actually talk to every single one of them for the amount that you talk to me but um i think that if they're able to listen through this episode they're still going to receive that value through the conversations that we have so first question and i'm just very curious about this why do we call you israel and not george <laughs> that's a funny story when i was born my dad went to register me and my mom wanted to call me Israel Charlie. Charlie because my her father, my grandfather's name was Carlos. So my dad could not remember his name because he never really met him because he died, you know, very young. So he couldn't remember. And then he was with his friend. They called him Coco. It's so funny because and he asked them, hey, what's your real name? And he says, oh, my name is Jorge. Oh, okay. So Israel, is it the first name or the second? He couldn't remember. So he said, you know what? I'm just going to put you Jorge Israel. So my mom thought he actually put me Israel Charlie for many years. So everybody called me Israel until eventually she ended up finding out that he put me Jorge Israel once I was in school. That's when uh, basically she found out. So that's why everybody calls me Israel and not by Jorge. <laughs> so when you were in school, people call you George and you didn't know? Uh, well, I did know. Uh, eventually, uh, I just don't remember that far back. But I, once I got to school, people would call me Jorge. And I remember I wouldn't really react to it as, as much as, as I did with Israel. But uh, basically, that's the, the story of everybody always calling me Israel and not by my first name, which is actually George. Which one do you like more? To be honest, I really don't mind. In fact, I kind of like the fact that I can have Israel when it comes to church, ministry, family. Because church and ministry is basically family. But then when it comes to a, a business, everybody calls me Jorge or George, you know. And my licenses for everything I got, it's under that name. So when somebody calls me over the phone and they say Israel, I know it's family. When they when they call me, they're like, "Oh, is this George?" I'm like, "Oh, this is business." <laughs> so, I can react differently to the fact of when they call me, I know which specific name they're using. Actually, the other day that we were talking with like the lender and we were talking with Jasser, I called them and then I just didn't know what do I say? Is do I say, "Hey, you know, I'm with Israel," or do I say I'm with George? But I I got it down now. I know that. I mean, when it comes to business, it's George. When it comes to ministry, it's Israel like two personalities yeah 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 because when it comes to israel you know you have to be nicer hey how you doing god bless <laughs> what's going on what do you need what can i pray for you you know what are you going through but when it comes to business and they say hey this is georgia i get you get you cut to the chase and you go 
okay, hey, what's going on? What do you need? Nice. You know, and you don't have to have that small talk. You just go to the point because business is different than when it comes to ministry. Yeah. All right. So now, um, throughout this talk, I want to I want to touch like ministry, and I also want to touch when it comes to businesses as well, because I know you have a lot of value to add there. But when it comes to ministry, you started pastoring when you were twenty three. Yeah, correct. Did you actually want to become a pastor? Actually, I did not. Uh, my goal was to become a surgeon. In fact, to be more specific, a plastic surgeon. I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to actually um, uh, be a surgeon. And even though my mom had told me many occasions, God told me you're going to be a pastor. And through prophecy, a lot of people told me you're going you're gonna to pastor. I saw it this way. You know what? First, I need to have my career, uh, generate income from my career, and then I can start pastoring once I'm in my, you know, early 30s, middle 30s or something. But at least I already have my income. I have money because uh, growing up, uh, I grew up in a church, even though I, my mom would take me to church, but I wasn't Christian. I wasn't looking for God. One of the things that I did notice that a lot of pastors were struggling and they, they would they would depend on people's tithe, you know, for their salary, for this, for that. And uh, they couldn't purchase anything new. I remember there's a pastor uh, that I congregated in his church for once we came here to the States for many years. And I remember this pastor got into a car accident. And after he got into a car accident, he bought a van because, you know, he had several kids. And I remember the gossip around the church. Oh, he's using the tithe from the church and he's using the money from the church. He just got himself a brand new car. Da, da, da. But. You know, back then, I didn't understand much about insurance and everything. So, unfortunately, you know, you see it and you, and you think. And since my dad was uh, was an atheist and he would tell us God doesn't exist, you know, all pastors are thieves, you actually believe that. But then years later, uh, I saw him again and I asked him, you remember when you changed the man? He's like, oh, my God, I remember when I changed the man, how people criticize me and everything. And he says, uh, I don't know if you remember, but I got in, into a car accident. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember you told us that. And then once he tells me this, he tells me it was a total loss. So I got money from the insurance. And since I need a bigger car because my family is growing, I ended up getting a van. But I was paying for that. So because of those things, it came to a point where I said, you know what? I want to have my profession. I want to generate my income. I don't want nobody to to point their fingers at me, telling, "Oh, I'm living out of you. I'm, I'm, I'm. I need your tithes to take care of my family, take care of my kids, take care of whatever I need." So it came to a point where, when God called me to the ministry, I did not want to hear that sound, especially of I'm going to start pastoring because I don't want people to to say, "You know what? I'm feeding you. I'm providing for you." You know. So my goal was first to become a doctor and then eventually pastor. So. To answer your, your 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 question, I did not originally want to be a pastor uh, I, uh, at that point in time. I did later on once I was married and everything because I started pastoring when, you know, I wasn't even married. I didn't have the experience and I didn't have the income that I needed, you know, to rent a place or anything. So uh, at that point in time, I really didn't want to. So when my pastor, Bishop Silvio Altoano, tells me, God is telling me you're going to be the pastor, I told him, I don't see it. And then he tells me again, I don't see it. And then the board of directors, two of them came, the secretary and treasurer, which is uh, Pastor Luis Lopez and Ariel Quinto, he was um, uh, the, the treasurer. Uh, they came and they sat me down. They're like, look, God is telling us that you're the pastor. 
And I told them no. And I remember it was a whole entire week because they already had somebody they wanted to anoint as a pastor because this person had uh, the experience. He had been the co-pastor of a church for many years. He knew how to preach. He knew how to teach. He was married. He had his kids. He was stable and everything. So when, you know, I remember this was on a Friday. He sits me down and he tells me, look, this is the last time I'm telling you. God is telling me that you're going to be the pastor. And he tells me, you know what? Me personally, I will never see you as a pastor. Hmm. And he tells me, first, your Spanish is really bad. Because I was going to pastor a Spanish church. Second, he tells me, you don't even know how to do a tie knot. You know, you don't know how to put a tie on or anything like that. You don't know how to run a church. You're inexperienced. You just got saved because I hadn't been saved for, you know, about, you know, three years. He tells me, you, you just got saved. Uh, you're very ignorant in many things. You're not married. He tells me, uh, you're way too young. How can you give a counsel to, to a married couple when you can't? So he started telling me one thing after the other, after the other, after the other one. And I was like, darn, you know, I thought you were supposed to motivate me instead of <laughs> pushing me down. And then he ended up telling me this after 30 minutes of telling me all my negative things. And then he tells me, but at the end of the day, it's not what I want. It's what God wants. And God wants you. I don't want you, but God wants you. And that really impacted me to the point where uh, at that point in time, you know what? Uh, I actually said, okay. How old were you? I was 22. Wow. And the next day, July 31st, was going to be my 23rd birthday. He seemed, based on what you said, you know, it's like very judgy, but at the same time obedient to what God wants to do. Mm -hmm. But like, don't you think there needs to be a balance there? And I know you came from a church where they were very religious. Do you think all of that had come into play where he pointed out so many flaws that you had? Well, it reminds you... It where I grew up, it was in a religious church. When uh, when when we were in Nicaragua, because uh, you know I'm originally from Nicaragua, um, we can't get in a very religious church. But once we came to the states, it was a very I won't say liberal, but you know conservative, but not that religious. So when the church was starting and we needed a pastor, his background was very religious. But in the beginning, he didn't tell me none of those uh, negative aspects of my life. He was more of a positive. Look, you can be a pastor. You can be a pastor. But I think he was in, he was actually putting a mirror in front of me telling me, look, you don't deserve this, but God wants to give it to you. Mm -hmm. You're not uh, capable of doing it because you don't know anything. You've never run a church. You know, you've never preached because I had never preached. I just had preached once before. And I remember... I was mumbling and I couldn't talk and I was stuttering and the whole sermon, I couldn't read the sermon. I had like 10 pages. I couldn't read them. And the pastor said, okay, look, we got brother Israel. He's going to preach to us. The pastor got off the, the podium. He went to the altar. He kneeled down. He got up. And by that time I said, oh, look, I'm over. And he's like, but it hasn't even been five minutes. It's almost been like three minutes. And I said, well, that's it. Oh, man. So based on all that, he's putting a mirror and telling me, look, these are your flaws all your mistakes and with all of that god is giving you the opportunity to serve him so that's grace there so i like the fact that he spoke to me bluntly at that point in time
because I wasn't valuing the opportunity God was giving me. Because when you serve God, one of the things you always got to understand, it's an opportunity. And unfortunately, you know what? We miss a lot of opportunities. And, and that's how we miss God's blessing. So I like the fact that he was blunt and he told me all this stuff because if I would have told them at that point in time, no, even though, you know, maybe he wouldn't have had that talk with me, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. Do you back the way that you see it right now? Is that the way that you saw it back there as well, where you actually liked that he was being honest with you and he put a mirror in front of you? Actually, yeah, I, I was I was glad because then I saw, you know what? This is an opportunity. This is not a, a you know, a commitment. This is not going to be a burden. This is an opportunity that God is giving me because with all my flaws, with all my mistakes, with everything that I have that goes against me, he still wants me to serve him. And that's a privilege. It's very important for people to have that, though, because, I mean, if you were to come and you were to start to tell me all of that right now, I think it'll be hard for me to see it the way that you saw that where we need to be careful not to take things personal and not to get emotional about certain things, but instead of like, I don't know, like try to find the good and the stuff that you're actually saying. And how do you think we actually can get there where I'm not going to, I'm not going to take things personal. You can be honest with me and I'm not going to get hurt. I think it, it all depends on the person's character, who they are. Yeah, you can give a compliment to somebody and they can take it in a bad way. You can say, Hey man, you know, you're looking good today. Oh, why did he say that? What was the purpose? So at the end of the day, it's all a matter of what's in your heart and if you take things personally. So any little thing might be a compliment or might be something negative. People are going to take it good or bad, but it all depends on the way you see things. Because sometimes we see problems or issues and we see obstacles in our lives and we think these are actual obstacles, but in reality, they're opportunities that God is giving us so we can grow, so we can develop, and at the end of the day, so we can fulfill our calling in our, in, our, in our ministry in whatever area God wants to bless us in. You mentioned the whole thing about, you know, you didn't even know how to preach. Did somebody actually teach you how to preach, or it was just little by little? How did you learn? Actually, no, nobody really taught me until I went to seminary school. And I got out of um, medical school, and I went to seminary school because... Yeah, I was supposed to go to UAM uh, for medical. So I ended up changing universities from from one to the other one, and I ended up going to Trinity International University. But during that time, uh, I couldn't take homiletics or hermeneutics because I had to start from the beginning because all my credits were basically uh, credits that were science-based. So I had to basically start from the beginning because I couldn't transfer my credits, you know, from biology, microbiology, pharmacology or anything like that. So I had to basically start from the beginning. So what I ended up doing was, since I didn't know how to preach, I would just write my entire sermon. So I wouldn't divide into part one, part two, part three. And to be honest, the first times I would go up, it was, um, I would just basically freeze and I would stutter, you know, even though I, you know, sometimes I, well, I still do, <laughs> but it was very hard for me to do it. And the person that was supposed to be the, the pastor originally that Bishop Silvio had chosen, uh, he was there in the church. So he would criticize me a lot and he would, 
uh, belittle me and look at me, look down on me and tell me, oh, you don't even know how to talk. Look at the type of sermon you brought. Look at what you did. Look at what you did. Uh, this, that, and the other. So uh, I, I guess him bashing me, basically, I ended up, uh, it, it forced me into taking more classes in university, how to speak Spanish, how to uh, use verbs correctly, how to, so at the end of the day, basically, uh, the way he was talking to me and acting towards me, it, it helped me out, motivating me to go into the university and learn more and quit myself more and prepare myself more and actually learn, you know, Hebrew, Greek, and actually look look at the origins of the word of, of, of every meaning and of the word of God. And basically, I ended up just, you know, scribbling and just writing down my sermons and whatever I thought uh, the way God was leading me to do it. So, you know, in time, uh, I started learning about hermeneutics, homiletics, and stuff like that. So that it helped me out a lot once I was in the university. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were just sharing how, you know, at the moment, I'm, like, working on getting a sermon for this Sunday. And he was just, like, mentioning it. It's crazy how you do this twice a week. How do you actually prepare a message, and how much time do you actually dedicate to get a message down, to look for the words, the Greek meaning, the Hebrew meaning for them? Well, one of the things I do is that I keep uh, notes in my phone where sometimes I'm just standing, buying something or doing something or hearing uh, worship or something might happen in my life. And I use that as an example of, you know what, let me write my notes and this is a good opportunity for this sermon. And once I get the title or, or the type of sermon I, I'm going to preach, one of the things I end up doing is I end up going to the scriptures and reading the scriptures based on that sermon. Or sometimes, you know, I, I wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and say, God, wake me up whenever you want. And I wake up at that point in time and I open my Bible and I start reading. And once I start reading, sometimes it's so funny because when I'm not that focused is when words pop out. You know, eh, I'm going to give you an example. The other day I was reading, eh, I read the, 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 the story about Jesus when he threw the nets. Mm -hmm. eh, through the, you know, eh, and he told Paul, uh, Peter, you know what, just throw the nets. I never really noticed that he used the term nets with an S. And then the word says that Peter threw his net. So eh, there, Jesus was talking to him about abundance, throw the nets. But Peter... You know, he thought, oh, I'm going to fail, so I'm just going to throw the net. Mm. So it's so, it's so funny because usually in the middle of the night is when I get more revelation eh, where I'm not that focused because I'm praying, you know, I'm I'm half asleep, but I'm reading and I'm talking to God and stuff like that. And at that point in time is where I guess since I'm not fully, you know, my, my, my mind is not working eh, to its capacity because I'm still tired or sleeping. Uh, sometimes those words they just fly off the the pages, uh, uh, like God is saying, you know what, you're not in control. I'm gonna be in control. So these are the things I need to to show you, or to to teach you. Yeah. So to me, the best time to actually write a sermon is basically get the structure of the sermon in the middle of the night, and then during the day, I just go back and start filling it out, putting, uh, uh, for example, uh, examples in it, point one, point B. But usually I get the essence of it in many occasions in the middle of the night.
based on what you just said right now, it sounds like throughout the day you are listening to what God is saying with little glimpses of things like through a worship song or through something that somebody said and writing it down and paying attention that maybe God is speaking to you through the, this way so that you can prepare a message. But that's not enough. You still need to go get the structure, get the meat of the message, and you do that alone in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., just you and God. You're not the first person that mentions about like praying in the middle of the night, praying at 3 a.m., getting a message at 3 a.m. Why is it so important to do that at around those times? Well, one of the things is that that's, that's the best time of intimacy with God. First, you're doing a sacrifice for God, which is not easy. Before, I used to try to say, you know what, I'm going to wake up every day at 3 o'clock in the morning. And it was hard. But now I just tell God, you wake me up whenever you want. You want to talk? You wake me up. I don't mind. He wakes me up by one, two, three, four. And at that time, it's more of your focus. You don't have distractions. You don't have your phone. You don't have your kids. You don't have people outside, you know, walking, screaming or, you know, blasting music or anything like that. So it's a time of focus. And it's a time of intimacy where you have that alone time with God. And you can meditate on this word and actually going deeper in this word and whatever he wants to talk to you. Because I think once you have that intimacy with God, the fruit are going to pop out. And God is going to tell you, look, this is my time. This is our time of intimacy. There's no kids. There's no TV. There's no Facebook. There's no cell phone. There's nothing. So this is just our, 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 our time just to focus. And I think when God wakes you up at that time, you know, people have a tendency, oh, let me go watch TV at that time. You, you know, that's the time where God is waking you up. You know what? Let's let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's do something. Because you've been so busy, you've neglect, neglected me. This is the time for us to get together. So I think it's very important because you see in the scriptures, the Bible even shows us, you know what? That Jesus, in the middle of the night, he will get up and pray. And it's interesting because the more he prayed in the middle of the night, the less he would get close to people, but the bigger impact he would do on people. Mm. Because once you're with God, the closer you are with God, just like Moses, the closer he was with God, you can see that his face changed. You know, you know, the Bible says, you know, that he had a glow in his face because I guess the closer you get with God, talking to God, being intimate with God, the, the, uh, the more it's going to impact your life and you're going to be able to impact other people's life and you're going to get God's knowledge, God's understanding, uh, God's character, where you're going to be more merciful, peaceful, more calm, you know, because it's funny. A lot of people say, you know what, you know, I just say it how it is, you know, I, I don't have, you know, here's in my tongue, you know, I'm just going to tell you what it is. And I, I see those type of people, they have no self-control because self-control is about controlling your thoughts, what you, your anger, controlling on on who you are you know when you know you're capable of doing many things but you don't do it that's actual self-control that's actually thinking what is going to be the outcome because it's very easy to say you know what i just say how it is it's easy to hurt people but you don't think about the consequences so i think it's very important that middle of the night because it's going to help you control your, your your attitude your anger your stress level everything about you and the best thing is you get closer to god nice um, going a little bit more back, you mentioned that the church that you that you came from it was very conservative and it, you know religious, and that means that you know women had to wear skirts, um, 
I don't, you know, other other certain things that they were that they had to do. They couldn't listen to rock or they couldn't listen to any other thing besides like hymns and stuff like that. Um, how many years did you actually pastor like that? Well, the first church I pastored was uh, very religious. So uh, I pastored there for uh, 11 years. Hmm. And uh, it was so funny because I came from rock and roll background with earrings, piercing, uh, long hair, uh, tattoos and everything. And then all of a sudden it goes to the point where everything's bad. Everything is, you know, it, it, it's no good. So I passed her there for 11 years. And the interesting thing about all of that is that it, it does, you see people, but they're not 100% happy because they're always living to everybody else's standard. What do people think? The way you dress, you know, the way you look, you're always basically hiding behind a mask and you're not free of being who you are. In the type of music you're like, uh, your style of dressing, even your haircut, like, I mean, min uh, minimal things. And then the funny thing I notice is that um, when you're so oppressed, it comes to a point where you're going to explode and you end up doing things, hiding behind people instead of being who you are. And God just wants us to be who we are. You know, we're not here to, to God wants to, you know, give us a better understanding of life. God wants us to enjoy our life. God doesn't want, want us to be oppressed. God wants us to enjoy what we're doing and be who we are. If you want to, you know, uh, Basically, dress up in jeans is up to you. If you want to wear some slacks, that's up to you. If you want to wear a suit, hey, that's up to you. Because that's not going to save you or condemn you or anything like that. And it was so funny because um, I remember during that time, um, everybody always wanted me to wear a tie. And everybody, you know, I remember once somebody came over to, to my house and they saw me in shorts. And they were looking me up and down like if I was going to go to hell just because I was, you know, wearing shorts and the funny thing is i'm like you know you came to my house unannounced i opened the door hey you know why are you gonna look at me why are you gonna judge so you don't think we should at least dress up a little bit more for example and i've heard this multiple times where they say hey, if you're gonna go to the court you know people try to put on a, a, a like a suit and everything they want to be presentable whenever you know you're not allowed to chew gum you're not allowed to do these things to show respect to the court and everything And then people mentioned that if you're doing that for the court, why not do that for God? What do you think about that? Like, shouldn't we still try to dress up a little bit if we're going to come to the house of God? I think that's up to the person because uh, I'm probably this. Some people don't have the money to dress up. Other people do. But uh, coming before the presence of God, it's all about your heart. How do you feel with him, feeling comfortable with God? You know, sometimes you go to church and you're wearing a tie and you feel like the tie is choking you. You know what? Just go without a tie. Or I'm going to put it like this. I know of an older man that he would wear a suit. And it was funny because he would wear a suit, but he would wear sneakers. And since I was religious back then, I would tell him, why don't you wear dress shoes? And it's like, oh, because dress shoes, they're hard. You know, it messes up my, my, my feet. And then the whole entire next day, my back hurts, so I can't dress up with dress shoes, he tells me. So I told him, well, you can't be serving if you're coming with black sneakers. You need to wear uh, um, some good shoes, some, you know, floor sham or something like that. And it's funny because he had the heart, he had the desire, but he, his body couldn't take it. 
So at the end of the day, it's about being comfortable in worshiping God. So nowadays, I would tell them, hey, you know what? Just bring the sneakers. I don't care. Bring jeans. As long as you're, you're comfortable, you want to praise God, you want to worship God, any way you do, just do it. Because it's, it's about being comfortable in what you're doing, how you're doing, because we don't know everybody's needs, what they're going through. You know, like before people would have to use a suit and a tie. Some people would tell me, look, I don't I, I can't afford a suit. So I would tell, take them to Goodwill to buy a secondhand suit or something. But at the end of the day, you know, like God is not going to force you to do things you can. Now, if you want to dress up, I think it's up to you. You know, uh, when you go to court, you dress up, but not all the time. You know, because it, it all depends on how you feel comfortable. And being God's presence is about being comfortable. Now, you have to be challenged. But I think the challenges come more in, in the spiritual aspect of your spiritual growth in your character, who you're changing, who do you want to be. But it doesn't pertain that much in the way or, or your style of dressing. You actually told this person that they couldn't serve because of that. It sounds like you were very strict because you were, you know, you were the leading pastor of a religi uh, religious church. Would you say that your relationship with God wasn't that good back then and it improved after? Or how was it then? Because, you know, for you to be paying attention, bringing people down instead of lifting them up. Well, I think my biggest thing, I think to a certain extent, which is good. And I know God used that for my own good is that I was very loyal. So whatever... The church would tell me or a board of directors that would tell me I will fulfill it and I would do it. Even though I did not agree with it, I would just do it because those were the rules and the regulation. And that's what they were expecting. Now, one of the things I do think is that, you know, sometimes I will feel bad because I was like, I don't understand this. This man wants to serve God, but the shoes are an, an obstacle. And I think that one of the things that helped me feel their pain or what they were going through and i was more sympathetic to a certain extent because there was a lot of things you know i would let slide um uh, it was the fact that I, when i was growing up every time i went to the church and because of my long hair my piercing the way i would dress um sometimes they wouldn't even let me into this new church because sometimes my mom will say oh look there's this evangelist who's, who's coming over and he's going to be preaching at this church so they would stop me in the middle of the door and they're like you can't come in because of the way you're dressed and i was like what's wrong with the way i'm dressed oh you have to cut your hair you got to take off those earrings because i had uh, two earrings in you know in my left earring uh, i had two piercings in my left ear two in my right one in my nose and one in my lip so they would tell me you have to take that off if you want to enter you have to cut out your hair and you know what you can't be showing your your tats or anything like that you need to put a jacket and you can't be dressed all in back so all those things you know it basically it, it was things that would hurt me and i would say you know what god doesn't exist because that's what my dad said and he would say you know what they're all hypocrites and those were the things that were hurting me that so when i would see it i would try to be more sympathetic towards it but uh, did i agree what they were telling me no but i was obedient to it not because i agreed so i think that's something that basically helped me because one of the things that you don't see nowadays is that loyalty you might say, oh, but you were loyal to the uh, to the organization, what they were teaching you. But I think that's what God sees, because at the end of the day, when God plants you in a church, you're supposed to be loyal in that church. You know, you're supposed to be grow you're supposed to be growing there. Even though I left that institution, 
uh, I was still under the covering of Bishop Silvio until he basically retired. Once he retired, I looked for a new covering because absolute power corrupts. You always have to be accountable to somebody. You always got to give uh, a, a report to somebody what's going on, what's happening, how you're feeling, what you're going through. And in this case, it basically, once I left the institution and it wasn't like I wanted to leave it, it was more like, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. So what are my options? Oh, either you leave and you give us the church or, and, 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 or you just be submissive. So, you know, I pray to God and I spoke to my bishop, Silvio, and he tells me, look, you're not a kid. You've been pastoring for so, so many years already. You're not the same person you started. You have a master's in theology and in, in, in world religions. Uh, just do whatever you think God is, 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 is telling you, and I'm going to back you up. And since he's my spiritual father, even though a lot of people don't believe in that, I do believe in that. And he was my covering. I went with what he said, because if you see when, when it comes to the Bible, you don't see these great men of God. They weren't being loyal to an institution. They were being loyal to uh, their teacher, their pastors, their covering. So once he said that, I took that and I said, OK, then this is what I'm going to do there. And it's like, look, go ahead, do it. I'm going to back you up. But I think if he would have said no, I would have I would have stayed there, you know, because the first time I spoke to him about it, which was when I was finishing my bachelor's in theology in Christian ministry, I spoke to him and he told me, oh, I don't know. And because he told me all of that, even though I didn't agree with a lot of stuff, even though I was learning more from the scriptures, it came to a point where since he told me basically no, I just stayed. But when he told me, once I got my master's, and he tells me, look, you have a master's, you know what you're doing, your experience, it's been many years. You know, if you feel that, I'd say go for it. You felt like God was telling you, okay, it's, I'm going to take you to something different, right? But you're mentioning that if he would have told you no, if your spiritual father would have told you no, you still would have listened to him. Where are we careful? Where do I listen to the voice of God or the voice of men? I'm going to put it like this. When you see in the scriptures, you see the different churches. You see in the book of Revelation that some churches are good, some churches are bad. But then you see God telling and talking to the angel and telling him right to the angel of the church. So even though person can be going through issues or there might be wrong spiritually, God is still going to talk to them. He's always going to have a way. So the message that God wants to give you, I think one of the things that you see through the scriptures, the Bible says God is a God of order. And orders usually come from the top down. And if you see in the scriptures, you don't see God breaking that order, but he follows that order. Meaning, for example, whenever he wanted to choose a prophet, he would always use another prophet to come up to him and talk to him and equip him and teach them. So a lot of people I hear people saying, oh, I'm more obedient to God than, than, than to man. Yeah. But if God puts somebody in front of you or over you, it's for a reason. Because the Bible says every authority is established by God, uh, for God, to maintain the order. So in this case, I'm going to put like this, you know, you give the example of the court. If I go before the court and the judge, he might be a drunk, he might be a drug addict, he might be whatever he is. But at the end of the day, he's an authority. And if he says, sentence me to a year or he gives me a fine and the man has the authority to do it, even though his life is bad, you know what? At the end of the day, it is the law and I have to fulfill it. So if he's my, he's the, he's, he's my spiritual father, he's the one who anointed me as a pastor. 
And maybe he doesn't agree, but you know what? God is going to talk to him so he can talk to me. But where are we careful with the people that let's say, let's say somebody opened up a church. That person has no covering or it probably does have a covering, doesn't have a good relationship with God. That pastor is not being good um, in the sense of like good spiritually. The pastor is not obedient. The pastor's just there. And let's say I end up going to that church and I realized this is wrong. Like, you know, I don't, I don't agree with these things. Should I say God brought me to this church and put me in front of this pastor? Now I need to submit to this pastor. Or when is it okay to say, you know what? I think this is wrong. I need to turn around and go find another church. I think when the pastor is making you do things that are not correct, if the judge tells me go steal, he's breaking the law. Yeah. So he's not enforcing the law and he's not doing things right. So I think that's that, that's that barrier there. Now, if he's preaching something that goes completely against the word of God, then it's different because then you cannot go against the word of God. You have to go according to the word of God. So if, if he's teaching you something that goes against it, for example, if he's te teaching you how to rob people, if he's teaching you how to divide or take people from other flocks right there, the Bible says, you know what? Stay away from the from those type of person. So there you're seeing that. They're not teaching you something good, something positive. They're teaching you something that goes against the word of God. But do you think that your pastor that was, you know, he was leading a, a church that's very religious. Do you think in that sense he's teaching you something that's wrong and it's not according to the word of God? And if so, why would you still listen to him even if God is telling you to move? Because one thing is to sin. Another thing is more of your wardrobe, you know? Uh, so if they see the fact that, okay, a girl has to wear a dress, you're not going to get condemned. You're not going to go to hell for that. But if he's telling me sin, steal, you know, th then that's different because now you're sinning. You're, now you're doing uh, worse things. So if he's telling me to do that, that goes completely against the word of God, then I can't do that. If he tells me, you know, like, for example, you see nowadays uh, churches that they tell you, oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? You can fornicate with one girl and then have multiple wives and stuff like that. That's going bluntly against the word of God. So that there, you see that is wrong. But when it comes to, you know, something so simple as your wardrobe, you know, I don't see it as a sin because you're not telling me to do anything wrong. You're just telling me dress differently or dress better or wear, you know, some other type of clothes. So you're not making me sin. But now if you're pushing me into sinning, and um, you're going completely against the word of God, then that's different. So they're not necessarily, even though they're conservative, they're, they're not necessarily wrong. And it doesn't make them that they're not like having a good relationship with God. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, from the time that all of this happened, it's been what, 13 years now that you've been in a church that's non-denominational, that you guys are not religious and we're going to be celebrating the 20th anniversary, the 13th anniversary on the 20th. Um, what's one of the things that you're the most proud of the ministry of how far it has come in these 13 years? Well, I think the best thing that I've seen nowadays is that how we've impacted other people from different countries and different places, how, you know, we've been able to open churches in Argentina in Chile, you know, and um, in Colombia and I think that's something good because that's not why God calls us. He calls us to multiply ourselves, not just, you know, stay in four walls. Even though everybody wants a mega church, but in reality, you know what? God made sent us to make disciples and to equip and to send people out. Uh, and I think the best thing, this is what I would love to say, you know, to God once I go before his presence. 
I don't want to tell them, look, I have a thousand members. I would like to say, look, we open up a thousand churches where these churches are being pastors by different pastors that came out of our flock that uh, encourage other people, impacted other people, even though, you know what, not everybody that comes to church is going to stay in church. But at the end of the day, it's about making disciples, not just, you know what, having a thousand disciples in your church, but having disciples that went and fulfilled their mission. How? Pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets, apostles. And that's what, at the end of the day, those are the generations that God wants to see from you. You know, I'm going to put it like this. I'm going to give you an example. How would you feel if your son, Noah, he's 50 years old, he's still living in your house? <laughs> Not good. Exactly. So that's the same thing, you know, like, doesn't make sense to have somebody in church, even though there's people who are going to be in church, which you can't push them, you can make them pastor. But the point is to take them out, go make disciples, go be the head of your own household in your spiritual aspect. And that's my goal. I would love to say, God, look, these are the, you gave me one church, but you know what? We multiplied it in so many different churches in so many different countries. Because uh, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, making disciples. And he said, go to all the nations and make disciples. He, so he didn't say, you know, in one place, you need to spread out and go as far as you can to as many people as you can. Now, what about within the central church? Within the central church, what's, you know, with COVID allowed us to pivot a lot and, you know, we're getting everything back to normal. I think within like the last year we've been, you know, back to normal, but Right now, celebrating 13 years here in the Central Church, what's one of the things that you are most proud of here? I think I'm proud of uh, culture. Uh, and uh, I think I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I enjoy coming to church and seeing everybody. Meaning, you know, sometimes church, uh, uh, it can be a burden because you see so many people, long faces, upset, criticizing you, uh, backstabbing you, saying different things behind your back, which unfortunately is a part of cult, uh, church. But the good thing is that what I've, what I've liked is that uh, you don't really see that. You don't see that. Even though you have, you're still going to have a few, but it's not a cultural thing. You know, like I remember uh, when I was in the very, very religious uh, uh, church, even though our church wasn't like that, but all the other churches that, you know, fellowship with us that was part of the the, the the same denomination, they were all always criticizing other people, talking about and talking negative. So you will go to these different churches and you will feel those people looking at you, you know, like they, they, you will feel like, you know, they were stabbing you with their look, with the way they would look at you up and down and stuff like that. So people felt uncomfortable. So I like the fact that I can come here and, and I see the culture and it feels comfortable. It feels laid back. It feels like I'm at home, you know, just like when you get home, you know, you take away your, you, you take off your shoes, you relax, you get on your sofa, you put your feet up. That's the way I feel. So I like the, that, that culture where I can come home to church and say, you know what, I'm at home, let me, you know, let me relax, let me take it easy. So I, that, that's one of the things that I'm more proud of, the, the, feeling comfortable and being able for anybody to approach me and talk to me and tell me, look. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. And and I like that fact because nowadays you have a lot of pastors. They're not accessible. They're, they don't give you the time. They don't give you your cell phone to talk to them, to call them. So I like that, that um, comfortable aspect, that culture that, you know, anybody can approach me. 
you know, I can be in the, you know, in the front of the church saying hi to everybody, greeting people, talking to them, you know, like uh, yesterday, since uh, we were out this weekend, we were in Georgia and, you know, I feel good. You know, everybody saw me. They're like hugging me. Hey, you know, we missed you. And ah, da, da. and then, you know, I'm trying to talk with somebody and then somebody's cutting in and then the other one, then the other one, then the other one. So I, I like the fact that, you know, the, the culture that, you know, there's love, there's um you feel comfortable, you feel open, you feel, you know, you can become who you are. How are you going to do that if the church grows to 500, though? Well, uh, I think uh, basically you can try to do it, but me personally, I don't want to be a rancher. A rancher is a person that has several pastors that pastor different areas, and you just take care of the pastors. I want to be a pastor. You want to take care of the people. I want to take care of the people. I want to know the people. I want to get close to the people. I want to be accessible to the people. How am I going to do that? I don't really know. I'm not there yet, so I don't know, but I'm going to try my best. Now, uh, one of the things that I do know is that God sees my heart. God knows I want a pastor. I don't want to be a rancher. And we're going to grow to the point where God says, you know what? This is what you're capable of doing. This is what I want. And not just basically delegating other people to take care of the flock and not talk to the flock. Even though you do need to delegate uh, certain things, but other things you as a pastor, you have to take care of them yourself. And when you don't know everybody's name, I think that's an issue. Because how can you not know your flock's name? How can you not know your spiritual kid's name? You need to know, you know. And I think once you get to the point, I think me personally, I don't want to be a rancher. God called me to pastor. What's, so What's that word, rancher? Yeah. A rancher is the person that owns a huge farm that has a pastor just for cows, a pastor just for the pigs, a pastor just for any specific area. And the rancher just basically takes care of the of the entire farm and instead of taking care of the individual animals. But when you're a pastor, you pastor, you take care of everything. Yeah, they're not all going to be your disciples, of course, but you still want to be in communication and connection with them to know their name, to know that they can still come to you, even though they will have a leader to reach in case they need something or they have somebody discipling them. You still want to be able to have that open door with everybody. That's nice. Um, we're going to have another. I mean, we're thinking ahead. Let's say, you know, next year is going to be 14th year. What's something that you want to accomplish? What's a goal that you have for the church for this year? Well, one of the my goals is for as many people in our church to have their own business. That's something I've been striving and I've been pushing and I've been preaching about, you know, being a good steward and having your own business. Because uh, when you have basically a financial freedom, it's, it, it, it's good. You know, you're leaving something for your kids, for your kids' kids. And at the end of the day, you're not stressed. You can serve more. You can do more. And I think one of the biggest uh, mistakes people want to be financially freedom, they, they want the financial freedom just to be lazy. But God doesn't back that up. God, if you're going to serve God, he's going to give you the financial freedom for two reasons. First, to serve him and second, for your family. So you, they, you can dedicate more time to your family and enjoy. So one of my, my goals is for this year is to help as many people within their church and motivate them and equip them into having their own business. Because at the end of the day, they're gonna have um, they're gonna have that freedom. They they can access a lot of stuff, uh, meaning basically whatever their needs. They can you know uh, fulfill their needs, what they're going through, their desires, what they want to do, 
and they're going to be uh, more fulfilled in that aspect of where, you know what, I can dedicate more time to my family. I can go out more with my family, but I can also fulfill my ministry more. How? Evangelizing, winning souls, discipling, giving Bible studies. You did mention that, um, you know, this year is going to be a year of us be learning to be good stewards of the things that God has given us. And one of them is in regards to the um, businesses. And that is something that I want to talk about today as well. At least a couple of minutes for you to touch base on that. Um, you have multiple businesses. When you started, what were some of the things that, you know, you, I don't know, some obstacles that you faced when you were just starting? What made you start a, pr a printing business that later on ended up like taking off and, and bringing good profit? Well, it was funny because I wasn't really looking into it. I sort of stumbled into it. Uh, when I was a I was a science department chair, basically, I was the one who did the curriculum for the high school the teachers to teach for anatomy, physiology, earth space science, general science. So uh, I would have printing companies. They would come up to me and they tell me, look, uh, we want to sell you shirts. We want to sell you books. We want to sell you, you know, tickets. We're going to sell you a whole bunch of stuff. So I wouldn't like the graphics. They would try to sell me. So I would tell them, look, I don't like that. Can you change it? And it came to a point where I just said, you know what, just give me the software, let me know what you use, and let me do it. And I, they gave me the software, and I started using, I started playing, and I started saying, oh, look, this is what I like, I don't like this, I like that. So I, I started giving to them uh, basically everything ready. And I started seeing how they were doing it, you know, with, with the shirts and everything. So then, you know, one year, I had a little bit of extra money, and I said, you know what, let me buy... Uh, uh, I forgot the name of the, the, the machine, but it's like an octopus where you do shirts. So I bought that and I started a, a screening press, a screen press. So I bought the screen press and I started doing our own shirts and I started selling it. For the church? No, for the school. Oh, okay. So I started doing it for the school. And then uh, the activities director, basically for, for one of the schools, tells me, oh, look, do you think you can do some shirts for us? And I said, for what? And she's like, for the athletic, uh, for the athletic area, you know, for football, soccer, baseball. And next thing I know, she's putting me in order of like a thousand shirts. And then I have another school who's telling me, oh, yeah, she she told another uh, 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 the athletic director from another school, oh, we also need, we like what you did, you know, what are you doing? So do you think you can sell us? So basically, I sort of stumbled into it. I didn't really uh, looked into it. So it was a good opportunity, and I took it. So you would make your own designs, and then you bought the things so that you can, like, just make them at home as well? Correct. How much money, so would you say, that you actually invested to start that business then? Uh, to start, I invested $10,000. What What would somebody, you know, you're preaching to, now to the church, and you're telling everybody, you know, like, listen to God, ask God to provide, and, and be good stewards so that you guys can start your own businesses. What if somebody doesn't have 10 grand to invest? Well, I say you can actually use, you know, for example, when I started with the shirts, uh, the first order that I did basically, which was my order, I actually went to another uh, company and I told them, look, this is what I'm looking for. I want you to sell me wholesale. Uh, uh, don't look at me as a you know, an end user, but as a wholesaler, I need about 500 shirts. Give me a good price. 
So I used that 500 shirts that he they sold it to me. And I told them, look, I'm going to use another company, which I'm going to open the other company. So this way I can get my profit. So I still ended up making not a good profit, not a lot, but I ended up making some profit. And then from there, I started um, uh, doing more and more until eventually I ended up buying my own equipment. So you don't have to use your own equipment at first. You can use a third party, use somebody else uh, to actually do the work. And then everybody makes money. You make money, they make money. And then you start investing in your own equipment into, you know, until you build it up. You're very opportunistic every time I talk to you. And like, if you have a new business, you just mentioned that you were talking to somebody and they mentioned this and you saw an opportunity, the opportunity in that. That's super important for people to have that as well, to say, be in the lookout for opportunities so that you can seize the opportunity. Um, the printing company, was that your second business or your third? Or Actually, that was my third business. So what happened with the very first two? The very first one that I did was uh, I did a Christian library and I was just married and I didn't know how long, how many hours you had to be there. And usually this Christian library, uh, people will come on uh, nights and weekends. And nights and weekends, you know, we had services at night and we had services on weekends. So it was very conflicting with everything that we were doing. So uh, what I ended up doing is I still made a profit. I ended up selling it by, by, by chunks, by parts. So I had it for about, uh, I would say, six months. What do you mean selling it by chunks or by parts? Because um, instead of selling the entire business, I ended up making money out of the business because I spent, uh, I had invested maybe about $80,000 into it. So since uh, I, I couldn't sell the entire business, uh, I grabbed all the sections of the, of the back then the VHS tapes that I had. So I sold it to another library that I knew of. Uh, in this case, it was a library that was within a church. And then the, the, all the tapes, I sold it to different smaller libraries from churches, but I still made uh, made money out of it. And the Bibles and stuff like that, so I would sell it in bulk, and I would, I would get a margin about 15% of uh, the amount of money I invested. So I got my investment back, and I also got extra money back because of it. So it was in that... It wasn't that uh, a bad opportunity because I still made money out of it. Then the the next one I did was I started renting out uh, uh, one of my houses. And I didn't like the fact that uh, people weren't paying me. They were trying to take advantage of me because I was young and they would lie to my face. How so, old were you? How old were you in that time? I was 25. And that was the house that you bought for you to be married with your, I mean, for you um, to live there with your wife. And then mm -hmm. you ended up renting it out. Yes. I ended up renting it out. And then people didn't want to pay me. Since people didn't want to pay me, I just ended up selling it, which was great because I had bought that house for $66,000 and I ended up selling for $260,000 a few years later. So that was the third business. And then that's when I ended up doing the, the printing company. We can clearly see how much God has actually like blessed you when it comes to doing your businesses and all of that. What are principles that you learned that you're like hey you know what i am being blessed because i do this being honest being uh, don't take advantage of people and i think the biggest thing that god has seen when it comes to my you know he sees your heart 
the scripture says it's better to give than to receive. And I think God has blessed me more because I've always been a person that gives. And and when you give more, you will receive it. Because when we open, I'm going to put it like this, when we started opening up uh, churches, the more I would get committed with different pastors. Like, look, we're going to pay you the rent for the next year, year and a half until the church grows. Uh, I started seeing my business is growing more because of that commitment. God would give me a hundred times full. And I remember this happened to me. Uh, uh, there was a, a pastor that I didn't like what he told me and the way he spoke to me. And I told him, look, um, on this day, it's going to be your last day that we're going to help you out because of the way you are, I said, because you need to learn how to be humbled, I said. So the funny thing is que I had a contract with a hotel. And it was a very good contract. This was a few years ago. And he tells me, I tell him, I'm going to give you an example. The 30th of May is going to be your last day. I receive a letter telling me, oh, your contract with us is going to end the 30th of May. They tell me that. And then I see it. I'm like, oh, man, you know, I lost this contract. Da, da, da. But the thing is that two weeks before the 30th of May comes, he gives me a call. He's like, oh, look, I, I'm, I'm apologizing. I'm sorry. You know, I acted like that. You're right. Da, 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 da. He started telling me this. And then that basically uh, he asked me, will you start again? I said, well, let me let me think about it. I told him, let me pray about it if we should support you or not. And then the funny thing is, once I hang up and he tells me the 30th of May and I start thinking about it and I start looking at the letter because I had the letter in my car and I was reading it where it said the 30th of May. And I was like, it, it clicked and I was like, oh, darn, you know, like I cut off the blessing. God cut off my blessing. Mm -hmm. So the funny thing is, is that I started again. Once I started again, I even got a bigger contract because of it so i've learned that the more you give you cannot give god the more god is going to give you but you have to know where you give and how do you give you know which is very important you know like uh, i always remember my spiritual dads you know father's day birthdays christmas everything anniversary and and people might see that you know a little bit weird or different but i think the more you honor, because the Bible says, you know what, honor your father and your mother. But at the end of the day, also you have to bless other people when it comes to the ministry and, and missions and evangelizing winning souls. And I think that's been one of my biggest uh, assets, I think, is that God sees uh, my heart when it comes to that. So giving is one of the things that you think if people learn to give and put God first, you know, God is going to bless their businesses and everything that, that they're doing. Of course, uh, I'm going to give you an example. I remember when I first opened my uh, insurance agency. It, basically, we rented a, a bigger temple, and I, and I also put the printing company in there to start off. Somebody tells me, look, you don't, your church is not big while you're renting a big place because we're about, what, 30-something people. And I said, well, I want to rent this because if I rent another space for the printing, I'd rather invest this money in a nice big church where we have enough space. And even though the church doesn't pick up the offering, the tithe enough to pay for this, but I can pay with the printing. 
So I think because of that, God blessed me with the printing and giving me a lot more work because that money wasn't for me to spend. I was investing in, in the kingdom. But how? Paying for the church rent. Because we couldn't pay as a church, especially with 30-something people, we couldn't pay, you know, 11,000-square-foot um, uh, place, which was way, way above and beyond. Yeah. So the funny thing, people would say, oh, you know, he's taking advantage of the fact that, you know, it's a big place, so the church is paying for his printing, when it was backwards. Mm -hmm. It was the printing that was paying for the church. It was paying for the space. So I think those are the keys. I would say that God blesses you because, like I said, the Bible says it's, you know, it's better to give than to receive. So the Bible, the word better is telling you what you're going to receive a lot more when you give than when you receive. Because when you receive, you're getting from other people. But the person who's giving is the one who's actually going to get the most. And I've seen that. And in every business that I that I've had, uh, I, I see that the more I give, the more I receive, you know, not just in my church buying equipment, buying this, buying that, paying for the rent for the church, you know, and not asking people, oh, you, you know, you need to pay for the rent. You know, we you need we need your tithe. We need your offering to pay for this, for that. No, I'll just do it myself. At the end of the day, God is going to bless me more. And at the end of the day, it, God is going to open more doors. For people that want to give their tithe, let's say, um, let's say when it comes to tithe, is it okay if I say instead of giving a $1,000, or instead of giving $100 as my tithe, I am going to go buy $100 worth of, I don't know, whatever the church is going to need and then bring it to the church. Is that still okay? And will you still be blessed the same way? Well, you need to understand that everything in the scripture has a purpose. Tithe is different. Tithe is when you give something and God blesses you weekly. That, when you say, you know what, the church needs this, I'm going to buy it for the church. God is always going to bless you with that, but you're not tithing. See, you need to do all of it. I'm going to give you an example. You need your four wheels for your car to function. Sometimes people are functioning with one wheel, where in the church they just tithe. When you can't drive a car with one wheel, but you have to tithe. You have to do offerings. You have to do first fruits, the scripture says. And then you also have in the scriptures is the, the 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 promises the vows that you do to god those are the four wheels that you need to to fulfill so i cannot use my tithe to buy something and bring it to church and count it as a tithe no that's more of a promise that you're doing to god i'm going to use this for god so that's a vow that you're doing a promise that you're doing with god a lot of people do that but you're not getting the whole entire picture of it you need to fulfill those four those four areas within the offering within the tithe within uh, within the promise the first fruits and within the, the promises that you do to god and in fact even when you talk about tithe there's three tithes in the bible that people don't fulfill and that's an issue and when you talk about offering the bible talks about four different types of offering hmm. so and when you look at that if you look at the jews they fulfill all of that and since they fulfill all those areas that's when you see uh, God's blessing upon them because they fulfill, you know, the tithe of every week. Then the yearly tithe that back then, since there was no government, a lot of the tithe was used for government 
and for the fulfilling of 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 within the temple of the guards and everything within the guards. But then you had the two two years tithe that you would do, and that was more for the needy people, people who were going in needs and stuff like that. So the there was always an abundance of food for the people that were going hungry. So you would have to do those three tithes according to the scriptures. And nowadays you don't really see people doing that. And when you try to teach it, people don't really do it. And like you said, there's promises, there's first fruits, there's tithes, and then there's offerings. Um, they're all different. What's the benefit of every single one of them? Well, when it comes to first fruits, the Bible says that's for your generations. And according to the scriptures, the funny thing is that the first fruits you give it three times a year. So, and that's for your generations. Even though we have a tendency to do it once a year, but biblically, you do it three times a year, the Bible says. And then, are these things that are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, or where is it that it? Because I I do know that when it comes to like tithing and offering, I believe both of them are also mentioned in the New Testament. Is first fruits and promises also mentioned in the New Testament, or was that part of the law that was back then? Well, when you look at the law, one one of the differences is that uh, back then it was law to give ten percent. Now in the New Testament, it doesn't really give you; it tells you give according to the way you're being blessed meaning there's not a cap but tithe stands for the 10th percent 10 percent. but now there's no cap back then there was a cap where you would have to give a 10 percent. now in the new testament it says uh, you should give according to the way you're being blessed meaning god is not telling you give me 10 percent, give me whatever you want so if the person wants to give five percent that's still okay. They're still tithing according to their heart. No, because the tithe should be ten percent for a person that's new in the path of God. But your tithe should grow according to your faith. The more your faith grows, because the problem is, why do we we have a tendency to hold on to the tithe? Is because we don't have faith that God will provide. But the more you give, the more you receive. The Scripture says, so your tithe shouldn't be ten percent. It should be. You know, if, if you're in the new, if you're a newborn Christian, 10% is good. But then after years, you should be at 15, 20%. You should start growing because your faith is growing and God is giving you more. That's why the Bible says, you know what? And when you give, you know, give joyfully, give with happiness because God sees the intentions of your heart. And it, let me stop you there because when it comes to your tithing, is it okay to give your tithe? Um, does your tithe need to be the first thing you give to God? You know, let's say you got paid today. They gave you $1,000. Um, out of those $1,000, you're going to give a $100 tithe. But then you also need to pay the rent, and you also need to pay, I don't know, your food and your gas and everything. Is it okay if this happened on Monday and church is on Sunday? Let me pay everything first, and then when I get to Sunday, I'm like, okay, and now I'm going to give my tithe. I'm still giving my tithe, but it's not the first thing that I set aside. Or should it be the first thing that you set aside all the time? Well, I think uh, you should always set aside first. That's your priority. I was reading this book, and in the book it was talking about Cain and Abel and how God saw the the offering from Cain, I mean from Abel, and he liked it. And it said that that Abel gave him the first fruits. But then when it comes to Cain, it mentioned that through like something I don't I don't remember exactly the words, but it was saying something like, and time passed, and he gave his fruit, meaning that he it wasn't the first thing that he gave. And I was reading, you know, based on the book, the, the argument or the statement that it was saying was that God didn't receive Cain's, aid, Cain's offering because it wasn't the first thing that he gave. 
Well, there's two things that you see within Cain and Abel. And the first thing is that you notice is that first, Abel looked for the first. Yeah. Second, he looked for the best. The scripture says that he looked for the best within his block, his flock. So it wasn't that he chose the ugliest calves or anything. He chose the best of everything. The Bible says that everything that was unblemished. So he looked for the first and the best. And he gave God what God was asking for. And number three, number four, he gave it with his heart. He gave it happily. But you, when you say what God was asking for, um, it didn't mention any time. Like, you know, this is very beginning of Genesis. It didn't mention that it had to be a flaw, that it had to be an animal. And it was based according to what they were doing because Abel, he was dealing with the flock, correct? And then when it came to Cain, he was dealing with um, vegetation, with vegetation. So they both gave according to what they were doing. But um, but you does it have to be an animal? It, it, there were no details there that it needed to be an animal. That's why I'm asking. Well, in the book of Genesis, you find that you need uh, animal sacrifice for redemption of sin. But in what part? Because this is very beginning. This is Adam and Eve, then Cain and Abel. So. God uh, did the first sacrifice for Adam and Eve and used the 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 leather of the animals to cover them. Mm. So he he set the example and told him, look, this is what you need to do for your redemption of sins and for your mistakes. And this is the type of sacrifice that I'm wanting, okay. that I want. So there you see different flaws that uh, uh, Cain had first. He gave, him, he gave him whatever he wanted. He gave it to him when he wanted to do it. And he didn't do it with a with a joyous heart. And it wasn't that he looked for the best fruits. We can see that now as well where we're going to give God whatever I want. Like what I was telling you, if I'm going to use my tithe to go buy something, instead of just giving my tithe and, you know, the church is going to use it wherever it's needed, that's doing the same thing as, as Cain where he did, he did how he wanted it and when he wanted it, let me do it at the end or... So these are principles that we also need to learn within the tithing so that it could be blessed. Correct. Even though that, uh, in reality, what Cain and Abel did, they were giving their first fruits. So first fruits, it's funny because first fruits comes before tithe. And then the Bible talks about offerings. And then you see Abraham giving to Melchizedek his tithe. And all of this is pre-law. And people say, oh, that's that's all in the law. No, you see that in the scriptures. And then, in fact, before he gives his title to Melchizedek, you see uh, the covenant uh, that Abraham did with, with God before that. So you see all these concepts being done way before you see it in the law. So uh, it's something that people say, oh, that pertains to the law. No, you see it. First thing, first fruits, Cain and Abel. You see the offerings, you know, that uh, Noah gave. You see the offerings of um, of Abraham. You see the tithe that he gave Melchizedek. So you see all these stuff being before um, the time of the law. So first fruit is going to bless the generation. What's the offering going to bless? Okay, the first fruit is for your generations. The offering is for God to bless you within the week, give you something extra. So it's to multiply. Yes, uh, for example, uh, you might get a, a raise, you might get something extra during that week, you might get a, a blessing. Uh, the tithe is for God to bless you every single week. 
and then the promises is for God to give you something you're not expecting, uh, uh, something you, you're looking for, you're asking God. It's like a covenant. The Bible says when you promise something uh, to God, uh, do a pact with money because it says literally money. So you're promising God something and 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 because you're asking God for something. So now you're, you, you, you can make that promise with money or with something that you're going to save. I went to a, a, a synagogue a while back ago and it was interesting because I was there and I noticed that people at the beginning of the year, they would actually look at the needs within the temple that they have um, and they would actually buy themselves the stuff that the synagogue need, needed if it needed to repaint it they would a group of people would get together oh let's hire a professional painter and it was in the cheap one it was they would hire the, the best one that they could because they wanted to give god the best and that's a part of their tithe and offering and first fruits that were they would they would give because they want to give god the best so and and you see how god blesses these jews because they're always willing to go above and beyond and give more. Mm. Because at the end of the day, uh, basically the secret of of uh, being blessed and God providing is giving. Because the scripture says it, and I'm going to repeat it, it's better to give than to receive. And you have your own businesses, and this is what you have seen, that the more you give, that's the more that God blesses you throughout all of your businesses. Correct. But I don't give individually. I give it more to churches. Or for churches to impact more people. Because some people say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to give a homeless man food. Okay, that's good. But the best thing is to use it for ministry that is going to impact more people. That is going to go ahead. I'm not telling you not to feed the homeless. Okay. But if I'm going to give more, I'd rather give it to a church that's going to impact the community. It's going to impact more people. It's going to bring more people in. Because now I'm sowing in good ground because now there's going to be a greater multiplication and greater and better things, you know, because think about it. If I give it to a person who's needed, okay, the, the scripture says, Jesus even said this, you're always, you will always have the poor. That's something that you can't get rid of. And you're always going to have needy people. That's something you can't get rid of. So instead of giving to a needy, might as well help a church that can help them out and impact, have a greater impact. You mentioned to me, and this wasn't today, but um, when whenever we talk, when it comes to starting a business, the importance of putting God first. And if you're going to, let's say, start a painting business, okay, then go to a church and decide to paint for that whole church the stuff. How have you seen that personally in your life where God has blessed you through there, where you're like, I'm going to put the church first, and then God, then you see the blessings of God? Well, I think you're first customer should be God and I mean it in two different aspects first in first fruits giving God the first thing that you sell and being God your first basically um, customer I'm going to give you an example when I started the printing company I said you know what anything that comes for church that is for God I'm going to give it to God you know the tracks everything I could have charged church but I was like you know what I'm going to do it and you and, even do it for the church people. Yeah. And I and for anybody who's a church member, I will give it to them. If they were opening up their business, I would open it up. I wouldn't charge them. I will give them to this day their business cards and stuff like that. But um, so that's the very first customer. And at the end of the day, it, that blesses me more. God gives me more. 
uh, I had an incident. Uh, I remember I said, God, I want the radio stations. I want uh, to have the radio stations. I want them to purchase from me from now on. And I said, God, the first transaction that I do, I'm going to dedicate it to you. I remember they called me from a radio station and the guy tells me, oh, I've heard good things, you know, about you. Da, da, da. So come to my office. We sat down, we talked and he's like, look, this event is coming. It's called Expo Leap. And he tells me, look, this is um, this is what we need. So we make a big list. I'm super happy. But then I see the list is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're, I'm like, I'm, I'm, we're up to fourteen thousand dollars. And I'm like, fourteen thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I started thinking. Everything is going to be forgotten. Yeah. And, and the thing is, um, when it comes to printing, you you make about 50, 100 percent of the investment that you do. So you get a 100 percent margin, meaning. If he's buying $14,000 from me, I have to invest $7,000. So in this case, I'm thinking, man, you know, that's seven grand that I have to put on my, out of my pocket. And mind you, at this time, I had just quit my job as a, a high school teacher in the, the, from the science department chair. My wife also. So we're living in a budget. We are very tight financially, economically. Because we're going by faith and I'm asking God for this big door to open and God is putting it in front of me. And next thing I know, I'm getting this radio station that wants to buy, purchase $14,000 worth in merchandise. And I'm thinking to myself, where the heck am I going to get this $7,000? And I'm like thinking and I'm like, and then he tells me, okay, look, start the ball rolling. I'll pay you uh, once you're done. We'll give you 50% and then we'll do the rest. So I'm like, man, where do I get, you know, the rest of the money? And during that time, well, actually, I'm sorry. He didn't give me, he gave me 25% of the money. So one of the things I ended up doing, it was borrowing part of the other money. And I told somebody, look, I'll pay you again. Once I get paid, I'm going to pay you. So I ended up investing all that money and I was like, man, that's a lot of money. And I was like, man, that's a lot of money. And I kept on thinking, thinking, thinking. And then I heard, no, I remember God telling me, isn't, you know, him, he was telling me, you, you want, you want me to bless you. Right. So don't think about the money. Think about my blessings. And I thought to myself, oh, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to forget about this. I'm just going to do it. And those $14,000, I, I remember, I ended up investing it within a radio program in the in, in the radio station that was I was at. And the guy tells me, look, if you leave the $14,000 in here and we don't pay you, literally, it will multiply to $28,000, he tells me. Hmm. And this way you'll have multiple radio programs and stuff like that. So I ended up doing that. So did I get any cent out of it? I did not. But... I ended up getting about $20,000 worth in radio programs during that time, which from there on, uh, when we went to that, um, to that event, Expo Lee, uh, another radio station approached the manager and told me, hey, you know, who did this? And they refer me, refer them to me. And then next thing I know, I have five radio stations that I'm selling to them every single month, a certain amount. So that's how I saw God's blessing. But my first customer was God. You don't hire any sales representative or any person to go and do the sales. You do this all on yourself. I think you would agree that no matter what business you have, if you're not able to sell, you're not going to be able to make any profit. 
where do you learn the skills for that? And, you know, you weren't a salesperson before. So how is it that you were actually able to come up to a person, interact with them and be able to sell them the service that you're providing? Well, I'm going to put it like this. The Bible says the person who wins souls is, is wise. I was a very introverted person. I wouldn't talk to people unless people would talk to me. I wouldn't approach people unless I was a, people would approach me. So I think the fact of going and evangelizing and winning souls and talking to people about Christ, that helped me a lot because that removed that fear of talking to people. Uh, I started getting comfortable talking to people and talking to anybody and just approaching them. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? It, it was extremely hard because I was very quiet and very shy. So I think through that molding of going and evangelizing and knocking on doors and talking to people in the streets and just, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. Here's a track and I invite you to church and come to church. I think that's what broke that mold and made me the person that I am that I'm, I can talk to anybody. I can approach anybody. I can just start talking to them. And that helped me within businesses because business is about, is about selling to people whatever yeah. you have. So it was easier for me to approach them. Hey, how you doing? You know, what's going on? Look, this is the benefits of working with us or this is what I can, you know, the, the benefit I can bring to your company and these are the different things. So it was easier for me to go knocking people's door and just talking to them. So I think when the scripture says the one who wins souls is wise because a lot of the different opportunities I saw also through basically evangelizing, talking to people, because people would tell me, oh, I know somebody who needs this. I know somebody who, who's going through this. I know somebody that will benefit from what you're selling. And I think basically that's something that has helped. For all of our listeners to be able to grab everything that we've been talking about today and um, apply it in their life, with you, everything started with being obedient to the calling of God and being obedient to what God was calling you for in regards to your ministry and being loyal to the church that you were with, that you were with and obedient to the authorities that you had. And through there, God began to mold you, you know, through evangelizing and through winning souls, who would have thought that that was going to be equipping you for the sales that you would do later on many years after that were going to help your business. And, you know, the first fruits that you would give from back in the days that they were going to help you in regards to your kids generation and, and the generations to come. Putting all of this together, you know, putting your ministry first, being obedient and loyal in your ministry um, when it comes to giving and, you know, you want to be blessed financially. It's a four wheel thing. It's not just, you know, many people just think about offerings, but it's not just offerings is offerings is tithe is, you know, first fruits is your promises and, and being faithful to the church and giving and having faith in God and giving according to what's in your heart and how much your faith has grown. Um, all of that. And but then starting up a business, having the vision and looking for the opportunities within your, you know, your personal life or within your atmosphere. What are the opportunities that you have? What are the talents that God has given you and using them? Something that you mentioned when it came to, um, you know, not having enough money for that big order that was going to come, you took on a loan. And, you know, a lot of people talk about debt not being good, but right there you use debt for something good as well. Yeah, debt is good. If you look at the scriptures, when... First thing Elisha told the widow was, you know what, what do you have in the home? He's like, I have a little bit of uh, oil. And then, you know, the prophet told her, well, you know what, go get some jars, borrow jars from your neighbors. And the more jars she got, the more, you know, of the little bit of oil that she had in one jar, she started pouring in those jars and, the, and it started multiplying. There's 
good there's good depth and there's bad depth. If you're gonna get into debt because you want a better car, where you're just financing a car because you want you don't want you don't you don't, you want to look like you have money, then that's that's a bad liability. That's not an asset. That's a liability that you're you're getting into. But if you're gonna buy a car and you're gonna put it into or you're gonna you're gonna rent it out or you're gonna do something or you're gonna do something else productive or you might buy a truck and you're gonna move people then that that that's an asset because you're using it for something positive something that's going to generate more income so you can get into debt to start off your business but you also got to be careful not get not to get in a lot of debt and then and you know end up losing the business because of that or what do you think about that well i think it all depends at what type of debt that you you're getting into and what type of business that you're getting into um because you know if you want to make millions you have to get basically millions in debt if you want to get dollars you have to get dollars into that in other words it's up to the business and having a good business plan having a new a good um vision of what you want to do how you want to do it uh basically understanding the market you know or the things that you're selling if it's going to be profitable or not because sometimes we dream too much we dream of bigness but we don't think about the different items that you know or the different obstacles that we might face or the different um percentage of, of interest that we have to pay so we don't really thoroughly think about the things the good the bad and the ugly and i think that's why a lot of businesses fail because they don't understand they don't have the concept of how am i supposed to generate or make money it's more of a oh i have a dream and i'm gonna fulfill it because you know, this person did it, so I'm going to do it. But they don't know the struggles and they don't sit down and write everything down. But um, uh, debt is good because debt, you know, if it's good debt, it's going to help you. If it's bad debt, it's not going to help you. You know, like if I'm going to go, you know, buy a $10,000 Rolex, you know, 15000 Rolex, I'm going to get into debt. What's the point of that? But do you do you recommend looking for ways to get out of debt as well? Like, you know, yes, I'm going to get in debt for my business. But my goal is going to be to pay off this debt as soon as possible because the Bible does say that the lender is, that the borrower is slave to the lender. Okay, one of the things you need to understand that when the scripture says that you're talking about bad debt, and back then people would actually borrow money, and they couldn't afford or paying back, so that person that you know was lending the other person the money will become a slave to that person because they couldn't pay him because most of these people they would get into debt because of food because of this because of other stuff that didn't make any sense now if they were to get into debt because they're buying a land because the bible talks about the good man the wise man he sold all his possession the bible says to buy the land and why because he knew within the land there was a pearl so what is that telling you? You sell everything because you're getting into a good debt. So these people, they were doing more for food or more for things that weren't that valuable. But if you're going to get into debt because you're going to invest in business, it's good. Because now you, there's an asset. There's something that's multiplying money that it's generating you more money. But you, you, you need to understand if that business idea is good or not. If it's something that is going to generate you money or not, and you have to be realistic because we think, oh, I'm going to sell this online and I'm going to make a million dollars. No, you're not. And those are the things you need to be realistic. It's not that you don't have faith. It's that you need to understand how the, how the market is because we need to understand how the system works. Yeah. Um, 
Well, this is for somebody that's listening that wants to start a business. The very first thing, though, is put God first. Make sure that you put God first. One thing that we can see through your testimony is that you never lost sight of your ministry, even though you had multiple businesses and you never lost sight of, hey, this is what God called me for, even though you had multiple businesses where, you know, you're 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 an entrepreneur, you're a boss, you could do, you know, you can spend your whole time there, but you still dedicate time to God. You still come to church every Wednesday to preach, every Sunday to preach, and you're still, you know, investing time within the people. So it's super important to not just, you know, listen to this podcast episode and go out there and just say, let me start a business without putting God first, without having a good foundation. Um, now, somebody is going to be motivated through this and they're going to say, you know what, let me start a business already. But you mentioned that it's important to also have a business plan. Don't just go out there and just start any business and get in debt without doing your research, without looking for the opportunity within your region, without seeing, you know, how much profit you would be able to make, what are the margins and everything and having a business plan as well. Um, I just want to thank you so much for your time and for actually you know, being able to talk to talk to us through this through this episode and pour so much knowledge to every single listener that's going to be listening to this episode. Um, to close it off, what's what's one advice that you would give a listener that's listening throughout? You know, that listen to the whole episode. What's an advice that you want to give them? Look for God, God first in everything that you do. Second, your spouse, your kids, and then you know. You have to provide for your house and then your ministry because people put their ministry first and they forget about God or their family. But as long as you have your priorities straight and you honor God with everything you got, God is going to bless you. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you guys for listening as well. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to share this with as many people as you can. Remember, be blessed, not stressed.